Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. We're joined. We're on a hot streak, folks. We have more special guests. This is going to be very fun. Uh, the hosts of the Breaking Balls podcast, uh, our friends Emily Nyman and John Snyder. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. This should be fun. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me, Tim. Been looking forward to it. Yeah. I'm so, finally uh, in some like friendly territory here. <laughs> it's funny, man. You know, it's um, it's tough to take to not take sides being, you know, in the area that we're from. And and uh, I think you guys kind of broached that subject in a, in a very, very fun way on your show. Guys, if, if you don't listen, of course, uh, Breaking Balls Pod available anywhere you listen to podcasts. But uh, the Mets and Yanks have a nice series coming up. Kind of both teams are, uh, are still in the mix. How are you guys feeling about the weekend? I mean, I was feeling a lot better about it <laughs> about a week ago. Now, uh, I don't know. I mean, the Yankees have since had some injuries in the past few days and they've been on a skid. So this team has been so up and down that it's really hard to uh, definitively feel good about anything. Uh, with, um, uh, uh, geez, uh, Garrett Cole with the hamstring, which initially looked like a lot more. And then Jamison Tyon was a ankle ligament tear, I believe. Yeah, honestly, I'm not even sure. I just saw the news not too long before we <laughs> got on this call. So, and same thing with Britain. I mean, he would, he was on the 60 day anyway. Oh, yeah bone chips in his elbows, but it turns out that when they went in to remove them, he had a tear in his UCL. So they had to do Tommy John. So he's older. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's around my age, 35 or so. So I don't know how he comes back from this one. Yeah. Now I'm in the same neighborhood and that's, that's gotta be tough. And, and John, how about our, our Metsies? Um, are they still alive or what pal? Well, well Tim, you know, I was going to start with one thing I like is that you seem to be a fellow, at least cautiously optimistic Mets fan. You're not a doomer. So we talk real here for a second. I'm torn, man. Like, I want to stay cautiously optimistic here. Like, the momentum seems like it's in our favor. Mets have been doing all right lately. Yankees have been struggling. But our respective positions, it feels like if the Yankees were to get swept, their season is still somehow not over. But if we get swept, we're done. Like, forget, you know, stick a fork in us. Uh, yeah, and it's funny, like the past week or so, I mean, we saw the, the nine nothing lead evaporate. They blew a, a four run lead the next day. Uh, the, the loss on on a Wednesday night, the, the two one loss in extra innings where, you know, I, I guess Rojas has made a few questionable decisions this year. And those <laughs> happen to nice kind of put it. Yeah. <laughs> play out, play out <laughs> in that fashion on, on Wednesday. And um, yeah, you know, staying within reach throughout everything they've gone through this year. It's been almost a miracle in itself. I mean, just July alone. Um, sorry, excuse me, August alone. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was just awful. Very just, you know, painful as a fan, tough to cover is, you know, it's, uh, you know, running the gamut, but, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's kind of a miracle that they're still around, but you know, a- a- any one of these days, you know, we have 22, we're recording during the games on Thursday night, but you got 22 games left, you know, you lose two in a row and you, you don't get any help. You're, you're in a, in a, in a boat with holes in it. And, and you know what, especially with these two teams, like despite the momentum that I just mentioned, they've both proven themselves. If nothing else, the big takeaway this season is they're both just streaky as hell. So yeah. who knows which version of both shows up? 
honestly, like I'm not rooting for a sweep this way, but a sweep either way would not surprise me as much as a split would not surprise me as much as blowouts would not surprise me as much as close games would not surprise me. I feel like nothing would surprise me at this point. <laughs> Just ready for anything. Yeah, exactly. Now, now, Emily, where the Yankees stand. Um, I think they're coming into Thursday night's games, uh, half game behind Boston for the one and two in the AL wild card. Toronto, who uh, Yankees are playing on Thursday night, uh, game and a half behind. They've been one of the hottest teams in baseball. <laughs> Again, like you said earlier, the Yankees are dealing with injuries. They have this star-studded lineup. They, they've had terrific performances from from Cortez and and uh, is it is it Hill, Luis Hill? Yeah, Hill. Hill. Okay, okay, all right. I, I haven't been watching much Yankees recently. Shame on me, but and no, it's um, okay. I didn't know it was. Pr- I, kn- I didn't know the G was pronounced like an H until like a week ago, just because we do all of our research and everything <laughs> online. And yeah. sometimes I won't have the audio on during the game. So I called him Gil, I think on our podcast a few weeks ago, but I don't think anyone caught it. <laughs> <laughs> it it's funny. I, I, you know, collecting baseball cards. I've been seeing his cards for a few years and it's like, Oh, Luis Gil. And then he comes up. It's like, Oh, it's Luis Hill, I guess. And it's actually heel. So, okay. But, um, you know, you have a, a, a adversity that the Yankees are dealing with as far as under, uh, I guess, underproduction. Now the injuries are hitting the momentum that they built over the last month or so, it, you know, from a fan's perspective, is that all but gone? You know, I think that something that's funny about baseball is in a vacuum, a 13 game win streak seems like the ultimate momentum. I mean, it's such a rare feat that no other Yankee team had done it since 1961 before this year, but not in a vacuum. You realize that the win streak really is meaningless if it doesn't result in a huge gain in the standings, which for the Yankees, it didn't. Tampa Bay has been so unbelievable that despite the fact they won, Yankees won 13 games straight, they only gained like two games in the division, which was too too easy to be erased because then all it took was them going on a four-game skid like they're on now. So I think that that in and of itself is a rally and motivation killer and momentum killer because they finished this, they, they kill themselves to win 13 games straight. They're on a roll and they look at the standings and it's like, Oh, great. I mean, we've barely made any progress despite the fact that we've played the best baseball we have all season. So, I I mean, I I don't know if they necessarily think that, but as a fan, that's certainly how it feels that it didn't feel the way a 13 game win streak, I think should have felt, but yeah. it could also be because we're already in September and the shoe has already dropped at other points in the season for the Yankees. So yeah. I was just sort of waiting for it to happen. You know, can, can I just add as Emily's co-host, every time she starts a segment with in a vacuum, I have to stop myself from finishing with all the players would asphyxiate and die and there would be no <laughs> final score. Yeah. This isn't breaking literal. Okay. It's breaking balls. <laughs> I'm breaking your balls. It's on brand. <laughs> Well, I see, I guess, from an outsider's perspective, you know, you look at that lineup and it's like, wow, you know, get that team into the playoffs and, and they're going to really make waves. And if everyone's healthy on the pitching side and if, if the bullpen, who was the guy who threw the immaculate inning against the Mets earlier this year? Really? Chad Green. Oh, he's nasty when he's on, but he's not always on. And as a Mets fan, we can tell you with certainty that we see that often. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, it's just, again, really, really nice team. You know, you have to have some concern with where Gallo and and Rizzo have 
I guess, settled into. There was some hot starts on, on both sides, and then, you know, they've kind of petered out. But the energy that, I guess, the trade deadline acquisitions are supposed to bring was there. And I think that was evident in the 13-game streak. And I guess, John, you could probably attest to this from the Mets side, you know, picking up Javi Baez. You know, you've seen the electricity, and it hasn't always been there. But, you know, I guess it's a kind of a tale of two cities how deals like that can work. The Yanks got immediate results out of it. The Mets are seeing it now when they kind of need it the most to stay alive. But it's kind of strange how that, uh, you know, there's parallels in two completely different courses of action. I mean, I've found this season there's been a lot of that between the Yankees and the Mets, like more than usual, especially with the way the Yankee season has gone. And I mean, that it's a microcosmic one. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I also think even in terms of just like, well, I, I was really brought back with this potential Cole injury. It's like, yeah, now you guys see what's up when your ace gets hurt and how much that just will tank an already struggling team. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess what's confused and the other parallel that I keep seeing is like, you know, to a lesser extent, like, you know, this Mets squad on paper when healthy should be putting up a lot of runs, you know, and they've, they've been better lately, but, you know, it was a struggle all season. And so now seeing that with the Yankees, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, everybody's here. Like in theory, this should be working. And it's just the runs are just not coming, yeah. you know? So th- those parallels, and they have not been lost on me. I'll say that at the very <laughs> least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that um, it just shows the teams it's more because as a Yankees fan, I'm used to the lineup being a lot longer in the sense that, there's a lot more dangerous guys throughout who have been hot where you can't just get through the top of the lineup because the bottom of the Yankees lineup has been as good as some teams top of the lineups in years past, where this year it's very, very clear that judge and Stanton are carrying the load. So if a pitcher is able to shut them down, the rest of the team, it's less than a crapshoot if they're going to be able to pick up the slack, usually some of them will be able to get on, you know, you have guys slapping singles, taking some walks, and then they have the big boys come up and bring them around. But when those two are not hitting, which they haven't been over the last few games, it's evident in the standings. Yeah. Oh, and, and, you know, you look at that, as you were just saying, you know, you look at guys like Labor Torres, you look at guys like DJ LeMayhew, Brett Gardner's had a considerable fall off. You know, that was, it kind of felt inevitable. And, and again, from afar, I'm a huge Brett Gardner fan, just, total heart and hustle type of guy. Just, um, you know, I think the Mets were reportedly uh, interested in him seasons ago during free agency, of course, before he re-upped with the Yankees. But, um, you know, always, again, a fan from afar. But, you know, without the, without all the Pistons firing, the plan really doesn't come to fruition. Are you concerned that the underproduction from the Gallows and the Rizzos and even, the, you know, looking to the Glabers and the DJs. Are you concerned that's a long-term thing or, or, you know, can these guys, do you feel these guys can kind of snap back into it? To be honest, I'm more concerned about, I'm most concerned about Glaber. No. Uh, not only because the Yankees are going to have him for a while, barring some sort of trade, which now obviously his value has never been lower than it is now. I would imagine. Um, DJ LeMahieu, I'm less concerned about just because it, he was eventually he was going to regress because he had he's been in the league for a, over like maybe 10 or 11 seasons. So mm-hmm. he's had like two or three seasons where he or two and a half because last year was only 60 games where he was elite. 
But then everything else, he was basically an average hitter. He didn't hit for much power. So I expected regression from him. I just didn't expect his uh, ability to hit for extra bases to regress to under 400 slug like it Mm -hmm. has. He and Glaber have been they haven't been able to square up balls. So that's a little concerning because it's not even just something that can be blamed on. Oh, well, maybe they were just juiced ball merchants. Like it's not really looking that way. (laughs) Juiced ball merchants. That was awesome. Oh, that's a that's a that's a coined phrase. That is fantastic. I'm glad that you're enjoying it because it's not being mentioned for someone on your team. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, please. There have been plenty. And, and, you know, the fall offs that the Mets have seen this year. And like, you know, you look at McNeil, you look at Dom Smith. um, Oh, my God. Did Javi just Javi just did another swim slide and he's safe again. Oh, my God. And he had a home run, right? He had a home run. He had a double earlier. He's. Just absolutely electric. Now, um, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsors, but I I guess this applies to both New York teams going into the offseason as far as what they're going to do with their middle middle infielders. uh, Middle infielders, excuse me. We'll take a quick break here from our sponsors. Hang tight. And welcome back. Again, we are with John Snyder and Emily Nyman from the Breaking Balls pod. Any uh, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, very much tied up in this Mets Yankees discussion. And there was a question I wanted to ask. I guess this kind of applies to everybody. Uh, we were just talking about Glaber Torres's issues, uh, not only at the plate that he's had, uh, I guess, in recent seasons, but even in the field, he's not quite the the uh, star-studded middle infielder that uh, everyone thought he might be. The shortstop market. And again, this applies to the Mets because, uh, you know, they have a shortstop, but they also have a, a free agent to be shortstop on their roster, who I assume they'd like to keep in Javi Baez. Um, how do you guys, I guess I'm going to start with Emily. How do you see the Yankees approaching Glaber Torres in the middle infield? Do you see them in the market for one of these big name shortstops that are going to be out there? And, uh, I guess wild card question. Do you feel like Javi Baez might be a fit in, in the Bronx and the Mets might have uh, some competition? Um, you know, I would love to say that, yes, I think that they're going to be in the mix for a shortstop, but I feel like they kind of made their decision clear by signing DJ LeMahieu to a six year deal this past offseason. Right that they have put all their eggs in Glaber Torres basket because his ceiling is so high. So, and because he's so young, I don't know if it's necessarily the move to give up on him as quickly, but then again, their window is as long as Garrett Cole's peak. So they only have a certain amount of time. Same thing with Aaron judge, you know, they, they have a window now. So I don't see that happening unless they trade Torres. I don't see them keeping Torres, keeping LeMahieu and signing a huge deal for someone like who I would love to have on the team, Carlos, Carlos Correa, that I, I think that they have Stanton's deal. They have Cole's deal. They sign that idiot Chapman to 17 million a year. They have all the, all these huge deals. So I, I mean, I don't know. And I don't think that they would make a play for bias. I think that if they're going to bring in a shortstop, and go for a shortstop, it's going to be someone who can, in their eyes, make a bigger offensive impact. Than Maybe a Trevor, a Trevor Story, possibly. Yeah, a Trevor Story or Carlos Correa, because the Yankees yeah. have made it clear that their model for winning is that they're willing to sacrifice a little bit on defense, sacrifice a little bit on pitching, and have guys that can just outscore 
the other team. And this year, obviously, that model isn't happening very well. I was just going to say Yankees fans would never tolerate Baez's streakiness and all those strikeouts. No way. No, we got enough. (laughs) It's, you know, it's a strikeout, but it's a strikeout laden game right now. And then I think, you know, there's a place for it. The, the, The three true outcomes work in certain situations. We've seen that. It's it's interesting. See, I guess in my mind, um, I, I guess well, Lemayhu plays first. He plays third. He plays second. He kind of moves all over the place, right? Yeah, he's I mean he's a plus defender at second, but yes, yeah. he can play uh, a multitude of positions, which is why I don't know if they'll necessarily bring Rizzo back. I would love to see Rizzo. I, yeah. I mean, I would actually not be too shocked since I think that they have realized the benefit of having a balanced lineup that it's made some other managers not be able to do the pitching changes that they necessarily would do mm-hmm. when someone like Stanton is coming up in the later innings, because then he's now got guys that can do some damage on the left side of the plate in the lineup, which they didn't have for yeah. a few years. So yeah, but LeMahieu, he's a, he's our huge six foot four second baseman. Cause you know, if, and if Torres snaps back into it, I agree a hundred percent about his ceiling. He's just such a, talented young player and uh, still a lot of room to grow, still a lot of room to make the adjustments. Um, I think we saw kind of what his game was all about when he was at his peak. Um, John, as far as Javier Baez, the Mets kind of have to at least strongly entertain bringing him back, right? Well, I'm going to do this in two parts. First, my cop-out <laughs> answer is now that Zach Scott has secured his legacy and Sandy Alderson's all put out the door. I'm way more excited to see who the GM is going to be than what yeah. he offers. But that said, the real answer is you have to like, I mean, especially we made the, we made the commitment, excuse me, to Lindor 10 years. Right. So if he's our guy, you want to make your guy happy. Right. And it's not like he's, you know, wanting to bring in some player that sucks. Like bias is fucking great. Pardon my French. Oh, you're, you know, good. you're, you're good. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I never sure. The soul 20 minutes being like, wait, can I curse? I almost did before, but okay, good. Oh, um, okay, great. But yeah, so bias is fucking awesome. Like you said, when <laughs> the stuff that the, not only the intangibles, but just like all that plus stuff that he brings when he's on is worth the struggles. And so I, I mean, actually Emily brought this up on the podcast this past episode. What's the alternative? McNeil, I guess. McNeil's sure. competent at second, right? But oh, at second, yeah, second, yeah, because you know Lindor's got shortstop locked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So like what McNeil? But McNeil's not Baez, you know. He he doesn't have that glove. And frankly, not for nothing, he's been doing perfectly fine in left and some other positions. Like you know, yeah. McNeil's under control for was it twenty till twenty four? I think. I think twenty four. He hits free agency. I got it right here. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So he's not going anywhere anyway. So you know, if Baez likes it here, if he likes playing with Lindor. You got to get him back. At the very least, you got to make it his decision. You got to make him a reasonable offer, something that, hey, man, if he turns it down, it's on him. It's not just because we were shortchanging him, which, I mean, shouldn't be an issue with our new owner anyway, but we'll see how he does in his first full offseason as owner. Yeah, and and Baez hitting the market after the, the ups and downs that he's had throughout his career. I mean, 2018, 2019, he was elite. Yeah. 2020 and through most of 2021, he, he really wasn't. Um, you know, his last month in Chicago, he was on fire. He took a little while to kind of get going in New York, and, and he, he very much has in, in recent weeks. Uh, he just stole his third base, by the way, tonight. I see. And, I saw he took third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to wonder what the market's going to be for him. You have to wonder whether he's going to get the 
the multitude of years he's looking for, you know, you have to assume that he's looking in that, in that, you know, seven, eight year range. He's a, he's a middle infielder. He's got kind of all the tools. Um, Let me tag on there, Tim. Uh, Yeah, please. When we're we're talking about offering, uh, you know, whatever we're going to offer Baez, do you have any prediction as far as how Cohen's going to approach the luxury tax? Is it more of a suggestion? Is it something he's going to blow by? You think he's going to be at all conservative with it? Like, are we just throwing Baez money? Hey, man, whatever you want. You know, what do you think? Well, um, I say you you give as far as how Cohen's going to approach the payroll, I do kind of think that he's going to be not frivolous. What what did he say? He said he's not going to be a drunken sailor. Right, right. I I get that. And I'm kind of with that uh, on that level there. Um, With the new CBA that's going to be coming in, you have to wonder how they're going to approach things. Mm. But um, yeah, I I can't see it as a a strict line that he's going to hold, not with the pomp and circumstance that he's kind of brought as being the billionaire owner, you know, uh, he, he's a fan at heart. And I think he wants a winning team as much as anybody. And there's going to be a lot of turnover this winter as far as, no, you know, not just on the on-field product. You can kind of feel that coming. Oh, yeah. He's, he's going to have a laundry list of decisions to make in his first real offseason. Um, you know, I, from a fan's point of view, you just kind of say, hey, you know, make the, the on-field stuff kind of the least of your worries get whoever you're going to get to make the team better and, and kind of let everything else fall into place. If that makes sense. I know you got to kind of fill out your front office if you're going in that direction, but uh, you know, and as far as bias, you give them exactly what it takes. Uh, mm. You know, it, you don't want to get into a bidding war, but you know, when you got a billionaire on one side of the table in a bidding war, you know, what's the other side really going to do? So um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm interested. But in my opinion, yes, Baez has to come back, uh, make Lindor happy. It makes the team deeper. It makes defense better. It, it brings a, a vibe to the to the roster and presumably into the clubhouse that you just don't see. And to be honest, Baez, he, even if he wants to go out, even if he doesn't like whatever the Mets are going to offer to extend him or whatever – he even if he goes to free agency, he's clearly and this is I don't mean this to be an insult to bias by any means, but he's clearly on the low end of what the shortstop class that's about to be out there. He doesn't get on base much. He uh, strikes out a lot, which, like you said, is part of today's game. But he hasn't involved his uh, eye of the strike zone enough like other hitters have who they hey, they may strike out more than uh, they make contact and ground out. But they're drawing walks. They're having an on-base percentage that's well above league average, where his is right at league average. So I think that that right there and the fact that he's only had those two seasons where he was uh, above average hitter and above average production, he's not going to get whatever he thinks he deserves, especially since the Mets already signed Lindor to that huge deal. So it's like, all right, well, you're not going to beat Lindor's deal not in years and not in average annual value. So I think that he may get humbled because I think that he'll at first say that he's worth more, but then he's going to quickly realize that if teams are going to pay whatever he's asking, they might as well just get Trevor story. They might as well get Carlos Correa. So I think that he'll end up back with the Mets and for uh, much cheaper than I, than he's probably anticipating. I put up four ninety, uh, four years, 90 million on Twitter over the weekend, I think. And and people, oh, that's low, that's low. And of course, this is while he's hitting, so I should have expected that. But right. <laughs> um, 
you know, even if they want to go to like 25 AAV, that's, it's a lot of money for, you know, for an up and down player, but it's something that, you know, it's no one, it's not my money. It's palatable. Um, it fits the market, but we'll see how far it goes. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. And they can't, they can't have Lindor and Baez at 37 years old, you know, (laughs) assuming that there's no universal DH. Because uh, even if there is, is Baez really the kind of hitter that's that's going to evolve into a designated hitter at this no, point? No, that's it doesn't what I'm saying. That way. Make Lindor happy during his prime. You got him for his prime and then some. And, you know, we're going to have to deal with the and then some down the road. But right now, make him happy for three, four years. See if something oh, comes yeah. of it. You know, make that clubhouse vibe everything it can possibly be. Go for it. Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, he's going to be decisions like this to make, you know, not just in Queens and the Bronx, but, but, but all over going to have to have you guys back on during the off season to re revisit this. But uh, I did want to bring up cause you know, this weekend of course is a, a 20 year anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Um, I, I assume that you guys are both in my general age area. I'm 37. I'll be 38 next month. Um, 35. Yeah. I'm 33. Okay. So yeah, you guys have, probably vivid memories of, of September 11th, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess I'm closer to you, Emily. I, I had just graduated high school and uh, I did not have class that morning at Suffolk community college. So uh, my next hell was going off. Turn on the, turn on the fucking TV. There's something <laughs> going on. Yeah, I actually just, faked being sick uh, yeah. three days into the school year. So I was home <laughs> that day oh. and I was asleep on the couch. My sister was going to St. Joseph's College in Patchogue at the time, and she had early morning classes. So she came home and came down into our den was like just spoke gibberish, it seemed like, because I was asleep and she put the TV on and I just couldn't believe what was happening in front of my eyes. Yeah. Gosh, John, you must have been what, junior high school? I I was in middle school. Yeah, I was in eighth grade history class, I think it was. And yeah, one of the other teachers came in. And uh, and whispered something to my teacher and then left just as quickly. And, you know, he just kind of somberly told us, you know, there's there's been an attack, a plane hit the World Trade. So they didn't close down school. So we did the rest of the day. And this was, you know, in 2001. I mean, at least in my middle school, you know, the Internet was not fantastic. Computers were few and far between. We didn't have smartphones yet. So there was very much a it was a weird vibe. There was a sense of confusion you know, some people being kids, like didn't realize the gravity of it. So it was like, oh, yeah, did you hear about the plane that hit? Like, oh, yeah, how about that? It was only really when he got home and, you know, the news was already on the TV. Obviously, my mom and had it on all day and just sitting down watching that. Like, oh, shit, like this is even at that age, like being, you know, 13, whatever I was, I was like, oh, man, this is this is heavy. And, you know, my dad worked uh, not not super close, but like, you know, like still downtown, like, you know, maybe like 10, 15 blocks away. He's a court officer in the city. So he was down there directing traffic and everything, you know. Oh yeah. It was that water, water street, right? I, uh, canal running canal. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah, you know, so he's, he was, you know, directing some traffic and had to <laughs> hitch a ride home with the bridge. It was a whole, we're not going to, we're not going to talk about why I know where the, where the Manhattan courts are, but <laughs> <laughs> it's family court if it helps. Okay, good. I see that's that was Manhattan the difference family, between yeah. water and canal. Right, yeah. <laughs> anyway, exactly. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, you know, wild times. Uh, I was, you know, I had I was turning 18 the following month, so I was still just a kid. You know, we you guys are both from Long Island, right? Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. So, I mean, we the whole I, I'm, I'm not sure if you remember, but at the time, there was they were doing work on the Robert Moses Bridge. 
So um, there was only, I guess, two lanes on one side and one lane coming back out, like from the, from the beach, going back north. The whole right side where there was two lanes, the whole right lane was just cars parked because you could see the smoke rising across the bay. It was a perfectly clear day. Oh, wow. And you could see the smoke rising from Manhattan, from the bridge. And, you know, I was 17. We sat there. and I think my statute of limitations has run out. We sat there and smoked pot for like three hours and, and you know, taking time, just turns between staring and, and crying and yeah, fucked up day. It what was a like, wild day. Yeah, I grew up in Islip, so I... Oh, yeah, you're right there. Yeah, we were in West Babylon. Oh, nice. Yeah. So my, one of my siblings, she uh, actually, she was a Peace Corps volunteer and her, um, I guess, term as a Peace Corps volunteer ended right around that time. So she was one of the first flights back into New York after September 11th. She came home on September 15th. And when she got home, she and I went for a ride over to the beach. And so this is days later and you could still see the plume of just debris or whatever was, you know, just unsettled in at ground zero. You could still see it from Robert Moses bridge. And you could also see the two, they had the blue beams of light. I remember. And it was just, it's just fucking crazy. It's still crazy. Yeah. 20 years later, it's hey. still fucking crazy. Uh, see, really I, I grew up in Nassau, so I didn't know that bridge existed until I got a car. But I can, <laughs> I can imagine the view being impressive from there, to say the least. Yeah, it, it was, um, you know, surreal. Uh, again, just uh, everything kind of hit you at once. The, the vulnerability of a nation, the, the loss of life. It was just, yeah, that was uh, strange days. But um, the Mets will be, I guess, of course, honoring... Um, the, the 20th anniversary uh, of, of, again, the service of the, the FDNY, NYPD, Port Authority, everyone who, who put in so much time and effort to kind of get things, you know, right. Um, that should be a, a very emotional service and, and certainly looking forward to, um, to how, how it's presented, how both teams kind of pay their respects and, and are involved and, uh, we don't we got a uh, Bobby Valentine throwing out the first pitch to Joe Torre. I think I heard. Is that right? Yeah. I, yeah. I missed that. How cool is that? That's perfect, man. They got, I mean, also not for nothing. I think Bobby V is still running for mayor of uh, was it Stanford or something? Stanford, like Connecticut. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, serious society. Great photo op, first of all, but, <laughs> but yeah, so they're going to be doing that. I think they're all wearing the first responders hat during the game. Which, Perfect. if you remember, that was for a while, for whatever reason, MLB yeah. was were assholes about that. It's like, oh, you can wear it for batting practice, but not on the field. Get the fuck out of here. You got, <laughs> come on, come on Literally man. Literally make your own rules. Yeah. Right, yeah. They just told the Red Sox today, reportedly, to uh, to stop testing for COVID because they were testing too many uh, too many positive tests. Which <laughs> oh, is, God. It's just, you know, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. That's Manfred's law. And to be honest, New York teams... They should be they should play each other and they should be playing each other in New York on September 11th every single every year. year. This should every be a tradition. 100 percent. Not not so MLB can do some gimmicky shit and make money off of it. But just because it's it was so important at the time. And this is easy for me to say because I didn't have anyone very close to me uh, be murdered that day. But with that being said, it, it was so important to this the country's come up after that. And this region in particular, uh, the coming together and, and like the, the realization that time will move on and we will move on as a city and be stronger. And I think that the Yankees and the Mets had a lot to do with that in bringing the city back together and bringing some faith back to the nation. And it just highlighted how important sports are 
in, in all of our lives and what it means yeah. to all of us. Oh, I mean, between the Mets, you know, their first game, the, the first game back in New York after the attacks, the Yankees in the World Series, you know, a few months later, they lost, but still what that, you know, what an amazing, amazing, just, you know, it came from such a negative place, but the kind of the positivity that came from it, it kind of almost in the same vein of what you were saying, just um, the way it was handled and the way that, you know, we, we carried on and just continued moving forward. It was, uh, it was impressive and baseball was at the heart of it. And especially because the Mariners had a major league baseball <laughs> record, 116 wins in the regular season that year, and they lost to New York in the playoffs. So I'm all about making that record meaningless because who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, you know, just the oddness of the year, you know, Mariano Rivera doesn't get beaten in the ninth inning. And, and he did that year. And, and by Luis Gonzalez. I mean, come on. He had a decent career, Luis Gonzalez. He was kind of a product of the era, but um, he, he, you know, fine career. I yeah, like, you know, I like Steve life. Finley. I like <laughs> Steve Finley more than Luis Gonzalez, to be honest. What's funny is that I was trying to think of another player on that Diamondbacks team. Like it, it at least it could have been so-and-so, but I realized I'm like, okay, all I know is Randy Johnson, Luis Gonzalez, and Kurt Schilling. I can't even remember anybody else uh, on the team. Craig Katzel was on that team. I believe he scored oh, yeah. the winning run. Yeah. Um, uh, geez, Tony Womack, who was oh a really, God. really, really good hitter, Tony Womack, but he was always kind of like that bench role player. Uh, oh, geez. Boy, this is good. What a forgettable team, huh? <laughs> kind of. And I, I, I'm shame on me for not being able to remember. But again, hey, 2001, right? Exactly. Um, uh, good times outside you know of the, everything else. You know that that Yankees team was really unbelievable when people only remember Mariano Rivera blowing the series as opposed to the team that won the well, series. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know what's funny? I well, was that, say- that's, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. No, you, I- you are completely right, Emily. <laughs> I was going to say baseball in a weird way was kind of uh, a microcosm for how things were in the bigger picture, because like in the short term, September 11th, there was that sense of unity afterwards. It brought us together. You know, it it happened to all of us as Americans. And, you know, baseball was a big part of that. We talked about that with the Yankees and Mets and, you know, Piazza's home run and everything. But then after the smoke cleared a little bit, literally, it became clear that nothing was ever going to be the same again. Yeah. And the Yankees blew the World Series. (laughs) <laughs> beginning of the end son of a bitch <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me that 2003 series was even more improbable but mm. we're not going to get into any of that today uh, oh man you know what now i want to like challenge myself because i'm really having a tough time remembering the rest of that diamondbacks roster i pulled I, well i got it right here you got you know, it? Oh, immediately to baseball reference oh please do i'm we're, we're running out of time but i definitely want to hear this so they had damian miller catch Catching Mark Grace at first base. Right. Jay, okay. Jay Bell at second. Oh, can I, can I tell a quick Jay Bell story? Please. Jay Bell signed an autograph. He was at the Pirates. And this is probably to be like early 90s where Jay stayed and he signed an autograph for me, but wouldn't sign one for my little brother. He's like, we are, I already signed one for you guys. My brother's crying and I called him an asshole. And my dad gave me a little pat on the back. He was like eight <laughs> years old. It was awesome. <laughs> that is I'm so sorry. Weird continue. That shit. Oh, um, this, this stuff you remember, right? Yeah. <laughs> Matt Williams. 
Yeah, good, good third baseman. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Luis Gonzalez, Steve Finley, and Reggie Sanders. Uh, a bunch of players still that doesn't uh, ring a bell. Most of them, I'm like, who? really? Who? Oh my god, I, I, I had a couple just, in there. Yeah, you just ran through my early morning Sports Center 1990s era. It's <laughs> like flashbacks. Well, yeah, that has to be the <laughs> oldest World Series team in recent memory because not one of those guys is under 30 years was under 30 years old. The youngest yep. guy was Damian Miller at 31, wow, and Tony wow. Womack at 31. Tony Womack was only 31 at the time. Yeah. That's surprising. I thought he was much later in his career. But yeah, Reggie Sanders, Reggie Sanders, good player. I think he spent some time with Atlanta and killed us for, uh, no, that maybe Atlanta or Cincinnati. Bell, yeah. Atlanta or Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, he yeah. killed us. He was on Cincinnati from 91 until 98. There you and go. he was also on Atlanta in 2000. Oh, okay. See, it's all in there somewhere. <laughs> To, to quote Tommy Boy between uh, malted hops and, and bong resin. <laughs> um, guys, we only got a couple of minutes. Where can everybody find you on social media? Where can you find the pod? All that fun stuff. You can find the pod at Breakballs Pod. We release a new episode every Thursday. And which tonight, John and I, after this, are going to come up with our title for this week's episode. <laughs> and you can find me at M. She Does It. E-M-S-H-E-D-O-E-S-I-T. Awesome. Oh, and I guess that's my cue to say I'm at Johnny Does It Too. You see the there connection there? Yeah, we're cousins. Go figure. <laughs> Is that right? Also, I'm, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah we're cousins. I'm her little cousin. Well, little, two years younger. I'm 33. Yeah. I had no <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, my dad and her mom. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. It's a family affair, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's terrific. Well, again, guys, once the uh, once we get into the offseason and things start cooking, we certainly want to want to have you back and yeah, see what to. both New York teams sure. are up to. Excellent. Uh, everybody, you know where to find us. Uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, subscribe, rate, review, uh, all that fun stuff. Um, let's hope that we have a couple of Metsy's wins and a, a still very much alive uh, season to talk about on Monday. We'll see you then. Let's fucking go Mets. Peace. Peace.